welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive by. You know, I'm excited about this show for a lot of reasons. And, uh, you know, Benny is joining me here today. He's my main man. And Valerie, of course, is on the keyboards as usual. Um, and Benny, I just want to say there are a lot of shows that you and I get to do together, just like the one we just finished. And it's always amazing to me how I kind of bump into people or places or issues or things from my past. And this upcoming show is kind of about that, but it's really a small world when I think about it. You know, today's show with George Bonanno is about bereavement. It's the other side of sadness, what the new science of bereavement can tell us about life after loss with this amazing author, Dr. George Bonanno. And the reason that I'm so jazzed about this is because part of my own personal journey, and let's call it therapy of sorts, after my downsizing experience, which we're going to talk about, not mine, but, you know, things like that, happened um, as a result of being able to connect with Columbia University Teachers College. And believe it or not, I had my application in that school two years prior to me actually going. And one day, as my boss was basically telling me, you no longer work here, I immediately thought to call them to see if they would still let me in the program. Lo and behold, they did. But I had to get there into New York very quickly. And I embarked on a journey at this university that enabled me to talk about, to understand, and to capture the essence of what I was going through. And this happened in many, many ways. So I'm not surprised that I get to talk to the professor of clinical psychology and chair of the Department of Counseling and Clinical Psychology at Teachers College, Columbia University. He received his doctorate from Yale University in 1991, and his research has centered on the question of how human beings cope with loss, trauma, and other forms of extreme adversity. The emphasis is on resilience and the, the, the salutary, salutary role of personality, positive emotion, and emotional regulatory process. What does that mean to me? What is the vibe that you've got going on after or during or, you know, even beyond the loss? And so... Had I met him at the time that I was at the, the, the university, I may or may not have gone in the direction that I went in, but I certainly knew that there was something to learn in this area. Finally, 
we have someone, an author, a researcher, someone that is hot on the trail of this talking about it. And so the other side of sadness, we're going to find out what it is. But for all of you out there that called in on the previous show that said you're in between jobs, in career transition, and this show might be for you. Dr. Bonanno, thank you so much for joining us here today. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Well, thank you very much. Nice to be here. This is kind of really cool. So let me start out by asking you this question. You know, the premise of the book and your research, are we really looking at a new paradigm for bereavement? And, and, and I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I, I think so. Um, it's, it's really kind of a natural evolution of, what, of how people have looked at these events in the past. Um, we've, it, it, there's a good historical reason for the way we've looked at things. Um, we, you know, we focused initially on people that have uh, hurt the most or people that have you know, been so devastated by events that they've stopped functioning. Um, and the field really spent, you know, has spent a long time focusing on those people and very good, for very good reason. You know, we need to, that's partly what the profession is about, is to help those people. But in doing so, the field had more or less forgotten about everybody else, and there was this kind of vague assumption that everybody else was kind of doing almost the same thing only they weren't quite as bad off and that's what grief and trauma were they were either you know either completely devastated or almost devastated and there was very little understanding so what we've been doing and other researchers like myself and like-minded people has really been exploring a much broader perspective and we found uh, a very different picture than this traditional model so let's talk about what the older model looks like or the traditional model looks like for a minute. Let's give people a snapshot of that. Okay. And then I want to talk about what your research and your colleagues and yourself have discovered. Yeah. Well, I mean, most of the work since it's been focused on uh, people in great pain is really uh, has, has zeroed in on that experience. So the assumption was if we take loss, the, the, the book is about loss, so if we take loss, the assumption was that everybody goes through a very long, drawn-out process of working these things through, and that it has to take a long period of time, and it's necessarily this type mm. of process. And if you don't do that, uh, people talk about stages of you know the, the evolution of it, and and you know various uh, models like that. And if you don't do that, then clearly something is wrong. And so that idea has dominated pretty much what everybody's thought loss and trauma were like. Um, but in fact, it's it, what, what we really do when we lose a loved one uh, is much more uh, alive, I think, and much more um, uh, much more logical. And we we tend to get through these events a lot quicker than we ever think we're going to. So we we're able to struggle through these events usually much quicker and and much better than we think we can. Absolutely. And what I want to, what I want to ask you about is, you know, I think many people understand the uh, Kubler-Ross model, but I mm -hmm. want to talk about that for a minute because I actually believe that that model and her work is probably one of the misunderstood bodies yeah. of work and has been used in a way that I don't think she really intended it to be used, but I wanted to get your impression on that. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I would agree at least in part with what you said. Okay. Most of what Kubler-Ross was doing was um, in terms of people facing their own death, how people come mm -hmm. to terms with death. 
And um, that's something we still know very little about. There's very little research about. There's very little sort of, you know, concerted study of what people go through when they face their own death. And I think as a culture, we're not really uh, quite able to deal with that. You know, we really don't. We don't focus on it too much. We kind of just hope for the best and turn away. So Kubler-Ross developed a stage model that explained that process. Whether it's true or not, that's a question, you know, I, I would leave up in the air. And I, I kind of doubt if it's actually true that people go through those stages, um, but I don't know. But really what had happened is kind of her model got foisted onto the, act, the process of coping with bereavement. Um, and it never really was, that's not really what was, how it was developed. But then Kubler-Ross herself also um, began to write about bereavement as well, and I'm not sure why she did that. Maybe that you know that because other people were saying that it's fit for bereavement, she went ahead and went with that. But um, I, we we really don't see any evidence for these kind of stages in bereavement. And whether or not Kubler Ross, you know, she she's a little bit vague on that. But um, I do think though that the, the stage idea. Um, doesn't fit at all in terms of bereavement and i think it's been somewhat harmful for people to think mm -hmm. about stages uh, because well, they assume they assume that there's a way they have to do it and most people yeah. don't actually do that and do you believe that part of this is because of the new, I call it the new science, and it's not necessarily new, but I think it's newly discovered. I mean, when we start mm -hmm. to think about neurosciences and what we're now learning about quantum movement and so forth, don't you think this has now opened up a whole new door that says a quantum is you can be here at one fraction of a fraction of a fraction and you can be here in less than that fraction and those can be two opposite completely different places well i don't know if i, <laughs> if I can if i can address that one but what, what i would focus in on which i think is something new from science which is really changing the way we think about a lot of things is emotion and mm. emotions have always been this sort of vaguely understood thing and really in the last 30 years or so in science, we've really come to understand what emotions do, the work of Paul Ekman and many others. Um, and emotions, it turns out, are, are involved in many different parts of our daily existence. And emotions are incredibly uh, adaptive and useful, and they're very much ephemeral. So we have these emotional reactions that uh, are designed, really, to help us get through difficult situations. They come and go relatively quickly. We don't stay in them for a very long period of time. So when somebody loses a loved one, they're not sad for the next three months continuously. That would kill us. That would just exhaust us. So what happens is we have these brief emotional reactions that last a few seconds to a few minutes, maybe a couple hours at the very most, and then it kind of goes away. And we, we stop thinking about the loss for a little while. We stop feeling that intense sadness. It's almost as if we forget temporarily. Mm -hmm. And we're able to reach out and be connected to other people again and able to do the things we need to do. And then we may have another bout of sadness. So we kind of go in and out of this state. And that's really kind of what happens when people lose a loved one. And it's something sort of similar happens also in traumatic life events or highly aversive life events and you mentioned losing uh mm -hmm. losing a job earlier that's yep. somewhat similar that's a kind of a loss as well okay so, yeah yeah let's hold that thought from when we come back because we you and i've got a lot to talk about okay. one of the things that i love about this book and about the you know this new science of bereavement and wow dr george bonanno is joining us here today you know when we come back we're going to be exploring the statement events are not traumatic wow 
And you can find out more about that on his blog. We're going to let you know how that happens. But today we're talking about thriving in the face of trauma, what his research, what his book talks about, and how this is really what I call the new hope. Stay tuned. We'll talk, uh, we'll talk with Dr. George in a minute. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. Sacred Moment is a unique funeral service offering distinctive choices for honoring and celebrating the life of a loved one. Whether you want to create an intimate home funeral vigil, an environmentally friendly burial, or a personalized tribute by planning a life celebration service with the support of a celebrant, a Sacred Moment can guide you in creating an experience that will truly reflect a life well lived. Call a Sacred Moment at 206-529-3803 and visit asacredmoment.com. When was the last time you were flabbergasted? Well, I was the first time I cleaned with this cloth named E-Cloth. E-Cloth claims perfect cleaning with just water on all hard surfaces and no chemicals. I started with my windows, then stovetop, and then the refrigerator. I was totally flabbergasted on how well E-Cloth cleaned everything. And I did it without exposing my family to potential health-harmful chemical cleaners. Also with E-Cloth, there's no paper towels, chemicals to buy, so you'll save money. And they're guaranteed to thoroughly clean for years. As a Dr. Pat Show listener, you'll get 20% off everything you order and free shipping. Go to ecloth.com and when checking out, enter Dr. Pat. That's ecloth.com, 20% off everything, free shipping. You'll never go back to cleaning any other way. Did you know that there's a direct link between smoking and back pain? This is Dr. Bonnie Verhunz here to share some information about smoking. Tobacco smoke contains over 4,000 chemicals, including nicotine and carbon monoxide. These chemicals constrict arteries and interfere with blood circulation, which results in oxygen and other nutrients not being properly circulated. The nerves in the spine then become weak and brittle. The good news is that once you quit smoking, proper blood flow returns. Regular chiropractic adjustments ensure that blood flow and nutrients are properly flowing to your spine and organs. For tips on how to quit smoking and how chiropractic can help, visit our website at vitalitychiropractic.com or call 206-824-5521. And be sure to listen to me, Dr. Bonnie Verhunts, on the Dr. Pat Show the second Tuesday at 10 o'clock of every month. Tired of just surviving? Would you like to learn how to thrive? Make 2010 the start of a whole new you. Take charge by enrolling in your own personal boot camp offered by Sharon Roy of Raising Grace Coaching. In just 28 days, you will learn how to rise above your emotions and follow your heart to a life of peace, joy, and purpose. You will tap the power of your own imagination and higher wisdom to create emotional breakthrough strategies that work for you. Start thriving today. Visit RaisingGrace.com or call 401-588-1799. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I have to tell you, I'm really struck by this book and my very special guest, uh, Dr. George uh, Bonanno. And the reason that I am is 
You know, this is a conversation that we've had on this show numerous times. And our philosophies about shifting and changing, and you all have heard me say this before, transformation does not have to take a lifetime. But now we have author, researcher that talks about the other side of sadness, what the new science of bereavement tells us about life after loss. And this book is incredible. And, you know, I want to direct you to the website because... Uh, George also has a blog, but let's get you there. If you go to www.theothersideofsadness.com, www.theothersideofsadness.com, you'll be able to find out more about the book, more about the author, and there's a link to the blog. Uh, George, thank you for joining us here today, and a couple of things I'd like to talk with you about, if you don't mind. Sure. First question before I get to the conversation about you know, events are are not traumatic. Mm-hmm. The cover of your book is very interesting to me. It's one of my favorite totems in a Native American tradition, the butterfly. Uh-huh. But when I look at the picture, the right side of the butterfly is colored and beautiful, and the left side of the butterfly is gray. Mm-hmm. And so I have to ask you the question about the symbolism in that um, hoping that it's not just an editor or a publisher that put that up there. But I wanted to ask you sort of the meaning in that and how that relates to what you've discovered. Well, um, unfortunately, it wasn't an editor or publisher <laughs> chose the cover. Um, I had to approve the cover, of course. But yes. um, the, I think the idea, I think, though, is that um, these it, and the reason they, they like the cover in terms of what I had written is because... Um, when we go through these events, we are still able, often, we, many of us are still able to thrive. We are yes. still able to take, you know, and, and the, the crux, I think, of what our research shows is that when something really undesirable happens, a loved one dies, there's a, a, a you know, a horrible accident, um, you know, any of these things that can happen in life, they're, they're not pleasant events. They're, they're difficult events. So, you know, um, the events themselves can be frightening, uh, very disturbing, but we are still able to thrive and blossom in, in, the, in the aftermath of those events. Not everybody can do that, but many can, and in fact, most of us can. So I think that's probably what the, the closest meaning is in terms of what I've written, is that the, 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 the butterfly is a symbol, I guess, of, you know, in, in the most generic sense of, mm-hmm. of a rebirth, or the, the butterfly... Um, you know, goes into a cocoon, or the the, the mm-hmm. larvae forms a cocoon, and out comes this incredibly beautiful butterfly from a from a worm-like creature. And I think, um, you know, the the events themselves can seem unbearable uh, for a brief period of time, but yet we still come out of them, and we're capable of doing wonderful things again. You know, so I want to get back to uh, the comment I made before the break, and um, the comment was. In the blog that you you have, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't say enough about how you approach this. I mean, you make most of us feel pretty good. Uh-huh. Thri- thriving in the face of trauma is the the blog I'm referring to, and and the sentence that says, "Let's begin with the simple but crucial point: events are not traumatic." Okay. I want to start as as a kickoff point and have you sort of capture the essence of what you've discovered yeah. from that place. Yeah. Well, it, that's that simple statement, I suppose, is. Uh, represents a very subtle, but I think very important point. Uh, you, you mentioned the word paradigm shift. I think it could be, and paradigm shift is a, is, is a major 
uh, phrase, but I think it's something of a paradigm shift in the way we think about events that happen. So the worst events that we can uh, we can uh, imagine are not. Uh, we, we, I like to say they're not traumatic. They're only potentially traumatic because it depends on how we experience them. It depends on what we bring to them, and it depends on how we look at them. So um, the fact that t- two people can go through the same event and one person can be devastated, any of us can be devastated by some of, the, some of these horrible things that happen. And some, you know, truly horrible things can happen. But usually not everybody is, and usually, in fact, most people are not, and usually most people are able to continue thriving, as I said before. So the event itself is not traumatic. It's how people react to the event. And I don't mean to say that the people who become traumatized by an event are weak in some way, but it's really to point out that the event is the, the event is not is not traumatic. It's the reaction to the event, and the reaction to the event varies greatly across people. And as, as I've said many times, and as the research continually shows, most of us cope a lot better than we think we can. Mm-hmm. The most the most of us are quite surprised by how well we can cope. And you know, this is really a kind of interesting question. Um, I certainly shared with you during the break, uh, sort of some events in my life that show up. But I want to very specifically chat with you about some of the research and some of the studies you've done on this. Mm -hmm. The reason I've said it's a paradigm shift, and I would love to get your opinion on this, is because, you know, those of us that went the research route and then got involved in the human potential arena where there is this idea that you can create your life. And, I, you know, I interviewed, mm-hmm. I interviewed Dr. Joe Dispenza yesterday, you know, who talks about create your day in the movie The Secret. There are those in the field that have always said this, but no research really, mm-hmm. right? No research like you've created to support it. So the paradigm shift for me is that here you come and present a body of research which becomes more meaningful in some arenas than all of the anecdotal data. Mm-hmm. And so what does and what have you studied, and how do you write about it in the book? Yeah. Well, one of the things we did that was simply different was typically for these types of life events that, that I study, um, uh, the typical paradigm was to kind of focus on the people who are most disturbed and most distressed or the, the people who sought help. Um, and we, what we did in our research, so we began by simply trying to find anyone and everyone who had gone through one of these type of events and to, to find out what their experience was like and to follow them over time. In a way, we charted the different types of reactions people had over time. Then we began to um, try to do what are called prospective studies where we follow people be- from before an event. So you need a large group of people. And there are some data sets like that where large groups of people, thousands of people, are followed for, say, 20 years. Uh, There's a study like that in Germany right now. We're doing a study actually with the military right now where we have, we're we're collaborating with them, and they have 160,000 soldiers, men and women, who have been followed now for about 10 years, and some of them have gone to war and some of them haven't. And we can begin to plot you know, how many of these people are going to really be hurt? How many of them are, are, are not simply going to avoid trauma but are actually going to thrive and we're, we ask these kinds of questions um, and we find over and over we find this what we call the resilience trajectory the trajectory of people who are essentially perfectly healthy before and after an event and usually that's uh, the, the most common trajectory we see so we've been doing those kind of things where we follow people over great periods of time you know and, um, 
more and more as this has caught on, um, and I've learned, I've spent a lot of my time in the last years learning more complex statistical techniques to deal with these kinds of data issues, and more and more other researchers have come to me or come to my colleagues and said, look, we have this enormous set of data, and maybe you can help us understand it the way you understand things, and we, we do these same kinds of analyses, and so we're now getting a bigger and bigger, uh, under, a bigger, uh, we're encompassing more and more of the data, so to speak, that's out there in the world. And it, the story continually continues to show the same pattern uh, findings. Well, one of the things that is is so new and fresh about this is that there are stories, there are people that have experienced trauma, and let's just, I'm just for lack of, you know, let's fit into the culture right now for a minute if we could, and have experienced traumatic experiences or events, whether that's the death of a loved one, and you talk about this in the book, Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about the worst thing that could ever happen Mm -hmm. in the book. There are other people that experience war, and then the question then becomes, you know, what is the key? How can we learn from what you've discovered so yeah. that given that we have an experience, um, you know, h- how can we learn to move beyond yeah. it quickly? I guess isn't that the big question? Well, that is a big question, and it's one of the questions we're, we're, we're a little late in getting to because it's, you know, for the first step was really to, to make it clear that there are lots of people. So if there are lots and lots of people. Um, the, the old model was really that, you know, there were a few people that might manage to go through these events and there's something, mm-hmm. they're superhuman or something, so we won't bother with them anyway because they're not like us. And now right. that we know, of course, that there are lots and lots of people, that means there's, there's not going to be one way to do it. There are going to be many different ways to do it because there's such a diversity of people. If you take, you know, yeah. 60% of the population, you've got all kinds of different stories. Um, so we're trying to understand that now. And part of the answer seems to be that there's a multitude of factors. There's kind of almost a, uh, a calculus of resilience or, a, you know, there are lots of different things you can have going for you that, are gonna, that, are, that will tend to make a person more resilient. Um, you know, friends, a network of people in your life, um, a kind of a personality that says, you know, I'm going to um, deal with challenges. Um, positive emotion, the capacity to see humor in things is just enormous. We see this, and now this is interesting because we have lots of hard data to show this. We code laughter and smiling from the face. We, we code these muscles around the eyes that crinkle when we, when we have a genuine heartfelt laugh. These muscles around our eyes crinkle. They're called the, uh-huh. the orbicularis oculi muscles, the crow's feet. It's a smile of the eyes. So we can Uh-oh. code that. And we show that the people that can do that, and most people can, but the, when people do that, that that's very, very helpful in getting through these kinds of events. And most All right, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this when we come back from break because this is now the evidence that's going to help everybody out there implement some of these activities in your day-to-day life. What can you do? And you know what? You've just enlightened me, George. What you've said is my crow's feet have meaning. Wow. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Remember, for our dogs and cats to live long and happy lives, just like people, they are what they eat. Wellness carefully selects wholesome ingredients to create food you can trust to provide the foundation of your pet's well-being. True wellness means every ingredient has a purpose in every recipe they make. You can trust the quality of all ingredients in wellness from their source to your pet's bowl. Visit wellnesspetfood.com to find a pet specialty retailer near you. Wellness natural food for pets. This is where true wellness begins. Are you tired or struggling to get to where you want to be in your life? 
Want some help getting to that next level? Hi, I'm Dr. Melody Ivory, personal growth expert and passionate champion of your complete success. I'm excited to give you powerful books, teas, and coaching to help you easily transform your life from the inside out. Now is the time to make your life sing. Visit MelodyIvory.com for free articles, poetry, and affirmations. That's MelodyIvory.com. Athletes, diabetics, moms, let me tell you about a new high-tech energy gel called Chocolate Number no. 9. Chocolate Number no. 9 is made with only organic agave and the finest dark roast Belgian cocos. Number 9 contains no refined sugar. Number 9 is a certified low glycemic index item. And best of all, Chocolate Number no. 9 simply tastes great. Find out more at chocolatenumber9.com or call 866-999-1909. That's 866-999-1909. Is Egypt calling you? Join Dr. Friedemann Schaub and Danielle Rama Hoffman for an initiatory journey to Egypt, May 2010. Picture yourself meditating in the Great Pyramid, cruising down the Nile on a private sailing yacht, and exploring ancient temples in exclusive visits. For a journey that expands your consciousness and opens your heart, Call 866-903-6463 or visit EgyptIsCalling.com. Have you ever wanted more for yourself or your family? Are you prepared to take your life to the next level? Have you ever had that feeling or heard that little voice telling you that you can be so much more? Let Empowerment Psychic Linda Dickinson help you to embrace your own power. Visit Linda at InMyFuture.com or call 800-206-9096 for your private session and start living your life to the max. Be sure to listen to Linda Dickinson on The Dr. Pat Show and call in to connect with your guides. Reach your full potential and increase energy with the superfood of the Inca, Maca Magic. Maca naturally balances hormones, relieves symptoms of PMS, menopause, and erectile dysfunction. Maca increases energy, stamina, and endurance without caffeine. Visit MacaRoot.com. That's M-A-C-A Root.com. Call 541-846-6222. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. Products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. You know, Dr. George Bonanno uh, is here with us today, and we're not going to get to everything he's written about or his research, so we're covering the fine points. I'm getting some instant messages from, from you all out there, and I wanted to just make sure we get some of your questions. Again, if you want to find out more about him, go to theothersideofsadness.com, the website, theothersideofsadness.com. We're going to be talking about resilience, and I think this question that has come in from one of our listeners it is perfect to kind of set the stage for it uh, let me see if i can get the question out there and if i don't get your question correct just instant message me again and i'll make sure i i get it out the question is this how do you know uh dr george how do you know if someone how do you know if someone doesn't show the emotion but bottles it up and has gone through the loss but has hidden it and then snaps but then no one knows why talking about what you and i were kind of yeah. talking about during the break you know, the shame involved with loss yeah. and what we do to hide it. Yeah. So is this pretty common? Do we do we want to just kind of cover this stuff up? Uh, that's a great question. I'm delighted that somebody asked that. 
um, because we really don't see it very much. I mean, when, when somebody is, is shamed about an event, like a, a, a stigmatized event, like a job loss, um, generally you know that. Generally, the, if the person is really disturbed by that, you can see that. Um, when people are generally okay, if, they're, if they really are coping well, they are coping well. Um, and that we've studied this in great detail because, of course, this was one of the first questions that came up when we began to publish our research. Well, how do we know that these people are really resilient and maybe not just faking it or hiding it or in denial or any number of these alternatives? And that was the common uh, question we had for years. So we went to great pains to follow people over many years and look for delayed reactions, and we really don't see that. Um, and one of the other things we did is we kind of left no stone unturned. We follow people over time. If they look like they're healthy, we often in our research we have their, bring their friends into the studies and we ask their friends to tell us anonymously through the mail how they think their friends are doing. Um, we sometimes get have interviews and we have other people who are not involved in the study watch the interviews and tell us what they think is going on. And we look at it every different way. And really, I think when people are generally healthy, they're generally healthy. When people are, when people are healthy, they're healthy. And when somebody is, is not feeling uh, quite good about something, we really do know that. We can tell. So it's, um, I think it's, you know, it, we are generally resilient and, um, and, and that's something we have to get used to. Well, you know, it's really a great conversation to have because, you know, I want to kind of, you know, bring this full circle to talk about resilience and what you've discovered. Because, you know, I think that we've had so much research done on personality and other things. And, Jada, try to have some of the predictors of happiness, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I'm so curious about what you found out with resilience. What kind of floats to the top of your list that, or, or maybe not, but is there some sort of theme about what most of the people yeah. have uh, demonstrated. Yeah. Well, a couple of things that are, that are I don't know if they're, they float to the top of my own list because I find them most fascinating. There are a lot of different yeah. things that make people resilient, but two of the things that I, 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 I focus on most, one is, is really the capacity to laugh and, and, and have happiness and smile, as I mentioned before. And it's just really simply the, the, the capacity to let oneself do that. Because we're all capable of it. And when we first began to film people after losses, fairly soon after a loss, and we, we could see, as I mentioned, we could see the genuine positive motion in the, in the smile of the eyes that we could code, we found that most people did that. And there was nothing in the literature that we could look to, to to explain that. It just simply was, and we've now seen it in every study since. The other thing, which I think is really important, and this is, I think, something that people could learn even, that we could, we could help people become more resilient, is something we call flexibility. And it's the idea that when you're faced with something really aversive, you know, something you just dread, like, like losing the job or your loved one dies or, you know, you're in a serious car accident and you're injured and it's painful. Any of these horrible things or really unwanted things happen to us that there isn't necessarily a right way to deal with them. And the different situations demand of us different kinds of coping techniques. And really the people that seem to cope best are the people who are flexible about doing that, about embracing those those events. So they do what they need to do to get through. And we actually have a phrase in, in our research, we call it coping ugly, that sometimes people do things that may not seem uh, 
like they're the healthiest things to do normally, but they're able to get through an event by doing it. They're able to, it gets them by. And uh, John Lennon has a song that I really uh, like. Uh, I like the title of the song. I should say it's called Whatever Gets You Through the Night. Yeah. And the idea is really just whatever works, works. And we, I think culturally we're kind of um, self-conscious about doing things. We want to do things the right way. But in fact, there really isn't the right way to do things. The way, whatever works is the right way to do things. And of course, you know, there's some constraints. If you're not harming other people, etc. But there are very few things that, that really are inappropriate to do. Um, so, you know, and we, we're, we're, I think we find ourselves fairly quick to judge other people uh, mm -hmm. for what they do. But in fact, if, they, if they're hurting and they're doing something and it's helping them, it's generally fine. And the flexibility to think about life events that way really helps. You know, I love what you're talking about because there have been so many people criticized, and I want to go back to, uh, yeah. let, let me just call it the traditional model around uh, grieving and bereavement. And, you know, honestly, you know this, and I know this, that at some point in time, you can go to a counselor, and a counselor will say to you, you haven't given enough time to, to, gr to, to grieve, therefore mm -hmm. you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be in this relationship yeah. with this person that you think is your soulmate. Yeah. Because you, it's too new. Yeah. So walk away from it. I mean, you know what I'm, I'm saying? It's not just that, but it's other things. You know, you haven't spent enough time grieving this. Let yourself grieve. Don't jump into that job. And yet everything about you says it feels right. Yeah. So how do we sort of build the bridge between what we've learned and now what we're discovering? How, I'm sorry. I don't understand the question. How do we build the bridge to it? Yeah, how do we help people understand the bridge? Meaning, for those people that have sort of come up in the traditional, yeah. uh, you you have to go through the stages, yeah. but yeah. now 10 years later, I'm still on stage two. Yeah. How do we give them some relief here? Is well, I think we, we need to begin to, to, as a culture, we need to begin to, to understand that we're, we're capable of dealing with these events. You know, I mean, there, there, there are times when, when any one of us can break down because of something, something really difficult. And, you know, that's, that's unfortunate and we need to, to figure out why and see if we can help those people through. But most of the time we're, we're, our, our, our uh, inborn mechanisms are, are, are more than adequate to get us through most of these events. And I think we just are, have a hard time accepting that. Um, so bad things happen and we just, we do just deal with them. Uh, and trusting ourselves, I think, is really important. Um, and that's tricky because, you know, that so somebody's going to, you can turn around and, you know, say, well, you know, I, I quit my job and I gave away all my money and I feel great. And the next day they realize they're in big trouble, you know, because, <laughs> because that wasn't the best thing to do. But, um, you know, for the most part, I think we know when, when something is the right thing to do and we have to trust ourselves a little bit more uh, in that regard. I mean, this is really kind of uh, an amazing conversation. I want to ask you, where do you, where does the research go from here? What is the next step? What is on the horizon? What else do we need to discover about this? A lot of questions, but I'm so curious yeah. to hear where you're going. Well, what a lot of people are interested in doing is, is building resilience. And, and yes. I'm, I'm thinking about that, but I'm not, I'm, I'm being very cautious. We've always been sort of cautious. Uh, and scientific about things. And so mm -hmm. we're beginning to think about what would, would we do if we wanted to build resilience. The military is interested in such things. Uh, so I'm, I'm sort of thinking a lot about this idea of flexibility. Uh, and we're doing some neural, neuroanatomical studies uh, with a flexibility idea. We're asking, you know, we're simply asking people to do different things and see um, uh, 
uh, what you know what they can do. But there there um, there are other aspects of it as well, um, and I think that's important too. So the the other I don't want to be too um, I don't want to give the wrong impression that there you know there are one or two things one can do, and then you know that's going to make you uh, uh, then then you kind of fix the problem, and you're going to be a happy, mm-hmm. healthy, resilient person forever. Because there's the other side of this coin is that there are lots of different things that make us resilient. And it's kind of important to attend to all of those things. One of them, as I mentioned before, is having other people in our lives and a social network, other friends we can rely on and trust. And we we need to sometimes remind ourselves that there are other people out in the world. It's very easy to do in our busy Western culture uh, that we tend to. I think in the West we have lost a lot of the mechanisms that connect us to other people, a lot of the mechanisms of community. Uh, and uh, I think it would really be important to build those kind of things. One of the other things we're doing is we're looking, uh, we've been studying disaster, which is, of course, very appropriate to think about right now, given what happened in Haiti. Um, but mm-hmm. disasters happen, and they will always happen. And there's a lot of interest in something called community resilience. What is in the community that helps people as a community survive an event? And we know almost nothing about it. So that's another thing we're starting to look at, how we, instead of simply being individuals on our own to deal with these horrific events when they happen, how, is there a way that we can make our communities more resilient? And that's just an enormously important piece of life, again, that we haven't really paid much attention to uh, for well, years. If you if you had more time to be on the show with me, I would probably now jump into the question, <laughs> what can we learn from the movie Avatar? And because... You're going to have to come back to answer that question, George. Okay. Uh, we will definitely, I'm going to get prepared for that question. Thank you so much for joining us My here today. My pleasure. It's been wonderful to talk with you. It's amazing. The other side of sadness.com is the website. Please follow George, the blog. There's so much to learn from his work. George, thank you. Have a safe trip, and we'll catch you on the back thank side. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right, everyone, let's take a short break. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. And I will talk a bit about Avatar and what my experience was watching it. I was one of the later people to go see it. But, boy, did it give me some insight. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Manifest your heart's desire? Want to know the secret to navigating life's in-between times with confidence and skill? Ready, Set, Manifest with Life Coach Debbie Lacey offers real tools to coach yourself through the in-betweens and leaps in life. Say goodbye to being stuck and hello to Ready, Set, Manifest. Visit theinspiredcoach.com and join the next Ready, Set, Manifest telegathering. You're not lost. You're getting ready. Visit theinspiredcoach.com. Nishama Living, where your optimal health begins with awareness, grows with knowledge, flourishes with proactive solutions, and is practiced as a way of life. Nishama Living is dedicated to wholeness of body, mind, and spirit. The Nishama Living Hour is coming to the Dr. Pat Show. Get ready to regain your natural balance, take control of your health and vitality, and build your foundation for wellness with Nishama Living on the Dr. Pat Show. Cards, chocolate, flowers, their soul last century. Pop open a bottle of Aquamantra's I Am Loved Premium Natural Spring Water this Valentine's Day. Be an 
Amico Sweetie and give the gift that will keep on giving. It's the elixir of life. Purchase a case of Aquamantra's award-winning premium natural spring water that flows from the abundant streams of Mount Palomar, California. Now in our brand new biodegradable and recyclable bottles. On sale at Aquamantra.com forward slash I am loved. And know you are loved. Bella Spark Productions is proud to announce the third annual Extraordinary People Lecture Series in Seattle. Join us for three extraordinary men and one amazing lady. Presenting Shirley MacLaine in a rare public appearance. Plus, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Reverend Carlton Pearson, and Robert Holden. Go to bellaspark.com for dates and information. Don't miss this opportunity to be inspired. Visit bellaspark.com. the last time you were flabbergasted well i was the first time i cleaned with this cloth named e-cloth e-cloth claims perfect cleaning with just water and all hard surfaces and no chemicals i started with my windows then stovetop and then the refrigerator i was totally flabbergasted on how well e-cloth cleaned everything and i did it without exposing my family to potential health harmful chemical cleaners also with e-cloth there's no paper towels chemicals to buy so you'll save money and they're guaranteed to thoroughly clean for years. As a Dr. Pat Show listener, you'll get 20% off everything you order and free shipping. Go to ecloth.com and when checking out, enter Dr. Pat. That's ecloth.com, 20% off everything, free shipping. You'll never go back to cleaning any other way. 